Hey guys, long time no see. Um, I'm about to head to the gym, but I wanted to get a quick um, um, heavy ready teaching in. And um, I have been in meetings all day, so uh, I'm excited that I was able to get done on time because I wasn't sure that last one wouldn't go uh, longer. And we are actually in Revelation chapter 10, verses 1 uh, through 4. And uh, if you hear my kitties in the background, that's them playing and being cats. Yes, yes. Okay, so uh, the last one, we talked about the three terrors or the three woes. And actually, we only were able to talk about two because... There's another one coming, but we're in this interlude, okay? So, like I was telling you guys, with um, the book of Revelation, so I just want to refresh before we dive in, and this is going to be a part one and two because I've got like 10 pages of notes, and I like to keep these short and sweet. So, you have behind the scenes, or what's called interludes, where it's showing what is happening in the spirit realm or in the heavenly realm. And then you have what is happening on the earth. And then you go back to the behind the scenes in the spirit realm. And then you go back to what is happening in the earth. So it's like this, you know, almost like this is explaining what you just read. And that really is key when you're studying, studying the book of Revelation to understand the pattern of the telling of the prophecy, as well as you always have to remember, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. If you go at it as a revelation of the Antichrist or all the disastrous things that are happening, then you won't correctly interpret and it can actually jack with your head versus, okay, this is the things that are going to occur that will uh, summon, quicken, the return, the second coming of the Lord. These are things that have to happen. And then also in the earliest teachings, I, I talked to you about the fact that these things are actually triggered and start because of our prayers. So um, that's important. We have a role to play in all that is going on. Okay, so we've had six trumpets. You know, we've had the seven seals. The seventh seal, there was silence. Now we're into the trumpets. And the sixth trumpet is what kicked off the three woes. Before the seventh trumpet is sounded, John then um, gives us an interlude again to describe behind the scenes. So we're going to read uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face shone like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. And in his hand was a small scroll that had been opened. He stood with his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a great shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered. Okay, so then verse four, when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write it down, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, keep secret what the seven thunders said and do not write it down. Okay, so the seven thunders is the Lord's voice. Seven represents the spirit of God who is perfect and complete. Um, and unfortunately, we don't know what was said. It is reminiscent 
of Daniel was given things that he wasn't able to reveal, which I believe John's revelation actually revealed the things that da uh, Daniel couldn't. But I do believe that we will one day know and that the scriptures in this chapter tell us we will. But also there's other scriptures that, uh, you know, by two or three witnesses, something is established. The first one's Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So it's, it's letting us know there are things that are going to be revealed or that when they are revealed, they become ours. And, and I think, you know, like even if you look at Jesus, he said, there's a lot of things I want to tell you, but I can't yet. And a lot of it was their maturity level. You know, the disciples weren't born again until after Jesus was resurrected. A lot of people don't think through that, but you can't be born again without Jesus being resurrected because we take on his resurrected nature. Um, and then we work out our salvation in our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. So with that, you know, he's, there's some things I'd like to tell you. Well, then he anointed, you know, Peter and John and Paul and all of them to write the history of when Jesus was on the earth, but also to write their revelations down that they now have understanding of. So with John, I believe the things that he wasn't able to write down for us are things that will be revealed to us at the end of the age that we're going to need to know at that time. Not saying that the Bible is not complete, just that that thing, those things that he couldn't tell us, we're going to need to know um, before the Lord's return. So that, those are just my thinking, my thoughts on that. I'm not saying that it's doctrine uh, at all. Um, it could be that he just wanted John to know these things to pray for us. Uh, now in 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 10, it says that we know in part and we prophesy in part, but then, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is part will be done away. And that is full revelation at the second coming of the Lord. Now, in verses 5 through 7, he says, Then I saw, or then the angel I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand toward heaven. He swore an oath in the name of the one who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and everything in them, the earth and everything in it, and the sea and everything in that. In it, he said, There will be no more delay. When the seventh angel blows his trumpet, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. It will happen just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. Okay, this is really exciting. So the, the oath of the seventh angel is there will be no more delay. The mysterious plan will be fulfilled. The word delay is chronos. And that's the word for time, chronological time. You have kairos, which is opportune time, but this is chronos, which is just time in general. So basically it's saying there will be no more time. Okay, so when the seventh trumpet is sounded. Now remember, we talked about when are we uh, caught up to the Lord? At the last trumpet. So the seventh trumpet is the last trumpet. And when that is sounded, there will be no more time. Uh, Paul also told us what the mystery is. God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. That's in Colossians 1, 26 or 27. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. 
to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And then there's a colon or semi, no, a colon, which is Christ in you, the hope or the expectation of glory. So what is our expectation of glory? It is included now and that we will have a taste of the age to come. We will experience um, heaven on earth in a measure that cannot be complete until the king of heaven returns. But healing, you know, divine health, uh, deliverance, prosperity, um, uh, soul health, emotional health, mental health, all of those things, um, communion with Holy Spirit. Uh, but the expectation is that we will uh, have our resurrected bodies. The resurrected bodies are crucial to um, the entire plan because those that are part of the first resurrection will not taste the death of the second, but also we will have bodies and be in a state where we can never be tempted again, okay? So the expectation of glory, being glorified because we passed our tests. We believed in an imperfect world that is ruled by the Prince of Darkness, right? And because we did that, we can expect to be glorified as he is glorified. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing to um, have a false humility about that. We passed our test. We're going to get to have the same glory that he experienced as a resurrected God-man. The mystery of Christ, mystery is Christ in us, the expectation of glory, meaning that the grace, the age of grace, the age of salvation is over. So at the last trumpet, done. All that remains is the second coming of the Lord, the removal of the saints from the earth, and the wrath of, the, of God being poured out on all that worship the Antichrist. The ability to be born again and to be part of the first resurrection is over. Okay, once, once that trumpet sounds, it's done. And you'll see a distinct shift where with the seals and the trumpets, there was a chance of repentance. That's what he was trying to do. But with the, the bowls, there is no repentance. It is full-blown wrath. So the measure of grace and patience that he has given us for 2,000 years since Jesus Christ, that measure of wrath uh, is coming on the people. So it's, it's a really scary thing. Uh, at this point, the last person has been born again. The species of humans on earth is complete. The word fulfilled means, quote, to bring an activity to a successful finish. God has successfully finished all he prophesied and set out to do in Christ. And don't, don't get offended, but it's like, hold my beer time. In other words, I've done my part. Here, hold this. I'm going to go handle my business, okay? So it's a scary thing, actually, for those that are on the earth. Um, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Okay, verse 8. Then the voice from heaven spoke to me again. Go and take the open scroll from the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I told him to give to me the small scroll. Yes, take it and eat it, he said. It will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach. So I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet in my mouth, but when I swallowed it, it turned sour in my stomach. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. 
Now, um, the next, probably the next chapters are going to explain what was contained in the scroll. Um, we understand that he has to prophesy again, and that is what that probably refers to is what he ate. He's going to now prophesy in the next uh, chapters. Um, but in Ezekiel, we have a similar experience in verses 1 through 4 in chapter 3. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly, and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey and sweetness. And then he said, Go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. So in Ezekiel's case, the scroll he ate was for the house of Israel. John's scroll is for the nations, languages, and kings. Um, so the message, the scroll is a message of God to the audience that he designated for. But the message must become part of the person. That's why it's so important to eat. It's sweet because it's God's word. But it's bitter for those who reject it. And it's also bitter for the messenger um, because it is judgment. It's painful. You know, a person that's a true watchman, they don't want to deliver words of judgment. They want people to just get it and to turn and to not destroy themselves in their lives. You know, and it's painful to have to deliver the judgment and say, you know, because you did this, this is now my response. And I warned that this was going to be my response. We see that repeatedly with relationships uh, between children and parents, husbands and wives, friendships. And we see it with God. You know, when he said the ground will be cursed, he wasn't cursing the ground. He said, because of what you did, the consequence is a cursed ground. And I warned you that that decision would bring death. And so it's not fun. You know, anybody that loves another person would love just to ignore what occurred, but we can't. And that's not love for the other person. And so decisions that other people make impact us. And so any good watchman doesn't take pleasure in the destruction of a relationship or the destruction of a nation or even a person. They don't take pleasure in that. And so that's why it's bitter it's God's word, but it's bitter. So then we have the two witnesses. Now, I'm not going to be able to keep going on this because this will be a part one and two, like I said. But let's at least kind of look forward to what we'll dive into. Then I was given a measuring stick and I was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the number of worshipers. But do not measure the outer courtyard for it's been turned over to the nations. They will trample the holy city for 42 months, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will be clothed in burlap and will prophesy during 1260 days. Now, what's interesting about John's vision of measuring the temple and Ezekiel's vision of measuring the temple is at the time when they're given direction to measure the temple, there are no temples. So Ezekiel, during his time, the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, this is about 90 AD, and the temple had been destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. Uh, so I personally believe that this is probably referring to a third temple, just like Ezekiel's was probably referring to Herod's. It could also be referring to a spiritual temple. Some people said this might be referring to the, 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 the born-again believers. Um, I'm open to that as well. 
But we do know that Israel is a very important part in the end of the age. And so having a third temple is actually not out of the question. Uh, so we'll find out. We'll find out. Um, but the temple is measured. And then the outer court, which was not the Holy of Holies or the, ho uh, the, the, Holy, wait, um, see, the Holy Place and then the Holy of Holies. I don't know if I had that right, but you had the part that had the bread and the, the prayer, the incense still. And then you went into the Holy of Holies where the ark was. But the outer court where people would go and the animals were sacrificed, that is being turned over to the nations to be trampled for three and a half years. Uh, the altar was to be measured too. And so there's like this battle of altars that kind of comes to my mind. In Luke 21, 24 through 28, it says, They will be killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world. And Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth, nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers of the, in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with, great, with power and great glory. And when all these things begin to happen, stand and look, for your salvation is near." So this is really like, it seems like a, gen, a Gentile against Israel type scenario that I personally believe is happening alongside the seals and the trumpets. Um, and we do know that they will surround the city. The Antichrist and his armies will surround the city and then the Lord will return and take care of business. Uh, but there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff, crazy stuff happening in the skies, crazy spiritual stuff happening, demonic stuff happening. Um, persecution. There's just a lot of stuff that's happening because it's the end of the age. The enemy is going to fight. He's not going to just let go of everything that he feels belongs to him. And this is another reason I lean toward a physical temple. Uh, Jesus said that you know the, it's going to be trampled down by Gentiles, which again is nations. Um, the word witness, because there's going to be two witnesses during this time that will be wearing burlap, which we'll get into in a second, but it's a Greek word that is, quote, one who has information or knowledge of something and hence one who can give information, bring to light or confirm something. So these witnesses are going to confirm the word of the Lord. They are prophesying and everything is confirmed on the basis of two or three witnesses. You also have where they're wearing burlap sack and this was worn by persons in mourning and as a sign of repentance. Um, so it's called sackcloth in the Old Testament, and it's a material, a heavy material norm, normally used for making sacks. It's coarse and uncomfortable. So the witnesses are warning the people that the time is ending. Repent before it's too late, because once that trumpet sounds, there's no more time. And the great uh, mystery of God's dwelling is complete. So he's doing absolutely everything he can to get people to repent. And remember, we learned in the last teaching that even the the, the serpent or the, the scorpion type uh, beings that will sting people for five months and they won't even be able to kill themselves to get away from the pain, that that was a preview of hell. It's like this is going to be eternity. So repent now so that you don't experience this for eternity. So it's like he gave them a preview of hell and even then people wouldn't repent. And so then we have these two prophets, so they're witnesses, they're in burlap, 
are the two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth, which is from Zechariah, which we're going to get into next week. If anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. This is how anyone who tries to harm them must die. They have the power to shut the sky so that no rain will fall for as long as they prophesy. And they have the power to turn the rivers and oceans into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as they wish. Now, this is reminiscent of Moses and Elijah. Elijah called down the fire. Moses turned um, water into uh, a river, the Nile, into blood. And also he had the plagues. And uh, so you definitely see these two anointings are showing up at the end of the age to confront Pharaoh, to confront the nations, the nation, the Antichrist system that started with Babylon to confront it once and for all. And so those that have ears to hear need to understand there is no more time. You're running out. You need to repent. And people will try to get rid of these witnesses, and they won't be able to. Uh, so that, that uh, we'll get into the, the Zechariah. Um, it's one of my favorite passages on don't finish God's sentences. You know, it's like if God tells you something, you don't finish his sentence because you might come to the wrong conclusion, especially when he's trying to correct something or he's trying to, you know, show an area that you need to grow in. You don't finish his sentences. You ask him, what are you trying to tell me? What is the one thing that I need to understand about what I just heard or what I just saw? Because I've seen people finish God's senses and blow up their lives. So make sure that even if you see something that you think you understand, you know what, let me just go there to finish with this. That you see something that looks familiar or you think you know what it means, you still ask questions. You don't finish God's sentences. So here in Zechariah chapter 4, it's very interesting. Verse 1, Then the angel who had been talking with me returned and woke me as though I'd been asleep. And he said, What do you see now? And I said, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl of oil on top, and around the bowl are seven lamps, each having seven spouts with wicks. And I see, see two olive trees, one on each side of the bowl. Then I asked the angel, what are these, my Lord? What do they mean? And the angel said, don't you know? And I said, no, my Lord. He would have 100% known that was the menorah. He would have 100% known there were two olive trees on each side. But he chose to ask questions. That's why the angel's like, you don't know? And he's like, no, I don't. What was the message? This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Who would have gotten that from the menorah? No one. No one would have gotten that. But that was the message. So again, it's so important. If you have a vision, if you hear something from the Lord, if he's giving you an impression in your spirit, don't think you know what he's saying to you, even if it's familiar. Sit down and ask them, what are you telling me? And then run with that, okay? So we'll get into the, the prophetic and the end of the age, but I just want to end on that note because like I said, I have had people get something from the Lord 
and their response to it was the wrong response and it blew up their world and other people around them. I've seen it over and over and over and over. I do a lot of coaching and uh, it happens all the time. So ask God questions, ask him what he's telling you and then run with that. Okay. All right. Well, I will see you hopefully next week. I'm going out of town again. Um, so I'm hoping to get this done, but if not, it'll be the week after. All right. And then this week I'm wanting to do an urgent education as well. And hopefully I get to that and see you tomorrow or Saturday.